Who's hungry? Chris. Chris, the only one hungry. Chris and Lewis. All right. And Wendy. All right. Who's hungry? You let me down, Damien. Teenage boys are supposed to be hungry 24-7. Did you know, did you know that on Super Bowl Sunday, right? Fun facts, right? Fun facts. Super Bowl Sunday um, in America, 1.3 billion chicken wings are eaten. Makes you wonder, do we even have that many chickens? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) 20 pounds of chips. 139 million pounds of avocados, 4 million pounds of popcorn, 3 million pounds of nuts are eaten, 325 million gallons of beer are consumed, 13 million pounds of bacon, and 10 million pounds of ribs. Who's measuring these things? Like, who's out there doing this? How about thirsty? Anybody get thirsty? I see, I'm starting to talk about thirsty. I'm getting thirsty right now. Did you know that 75% of Americans are walking around dehydrated right now and don't even realize it? Don't even realize it. They're walking around dehydrated right now. Did you know that 37% of Americans mistake their thirst mechanism for hunger and then they eat when all they should have done is have a drink of water? That's why I tell you sometimes when you're trying to go on a diet, they'd be like, just drink water. Everybody ever heard that? All right. Nutritious, they emphasize the fact, the important fact that by telling us about our diet is that we are what we eat. We are what we eat. And that should be a scary statement considering some of the things that we eat, right? Some of us live on a only fast food diet. We eat out all the time. We barely eat anything healthy. Some people, some people, and not me, not me, some people. Imagine if your diet is all fast food and donuts. Now, when you extend that same concept, we are what we eat to our spiritual life, to our spiritual life, right? We are what we consume spiritually. It should even be more frightening. Think about what our generation is surrounded with. Think about it. You turn on the TV, you turn on your, your, your cell phone, you, turn, you look outside. I'm tomorrow, like, look at what we're surrounded with on a day-to-day basis, right? Violence, um, immorality on television, on our phones, there's a, there's, there's a statistic that it says that our generation um, sees more violence and sex on TV in a week than what our grandparents or old great-grandparents were exposed to in a lifetime. To tell you, to tell you where we're at as opposed to like where we once were, right? Um, we need to feed our minds healthy things, our spirit. What are we feeding our spirit, right? Because everything that we eat, everything that we're uh, taking in, everything that we're spending time, um, the majority of our time, it will bring influence to our lives. It brings influence to our lives. All right, you guys are going to wake up right now on the second page. We're on our fourth, seri- our fourth beatitude as we are continuing the series, Blessed Are The. Blessed Are The. Um, let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 as we get started this morning. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is what we're going to be focusing on today. For they shall be filled. When we hear that, it's almost like, oh no, here we go again. Because so far, all these things just go opposite to what we're accustomed to in today's society. So here we go. Is Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst. We don't, we don't see that as a blessing. Blessed are the hungry? The whole world is seeking blessings. Everyone seeks a blessing. In the, in the world's case here, they, they associate blessing with happiness. And we talked a little bit about that in the first sermon of this series. And there's no doubt that everybody wants to be happy. Who does not want to be happy? All right. I made it easy so nobody have to raise their hand. Everybody wants to be happy. There's no doubt about that. People are seeking happiness, but the thing is that they're seeking happiness through so many things that will truly never bring happiness. And we see that when people chase power, pleasure, possessions, prestige. But the command is not to hunger and thirst after happiness. And the thing is that many of us are living our lives hungering and thirsting for happiness, and therefore we're doing all these things in our lives trying to make ourselves happy, trying to be happy, trying to, trying to, 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 to fill the voids that we have in our lives. Did you know that even Christians can be guilty, even Christians are guilty of looking for happiness in all the wrong places? There's a quote that says this. I'll read it to you. There are large numbers of people in the Christian church who seem to spend their whole life seeking something which they never find, seeking some kind of happiness and blessedness. They go from meeting to meeting, seminar to seminar, convention to convention, always hoping they are going to get this wonderful thing this experience that's going to fill them with joy and flood them with some ecstasy. I'm not against conventions. I'm not against the conferences that we go to. Um, But if you've been to a conference, if you've been to like a convention thing, you know that when you're there, because, you know, we see this all the time, right? We're there, and it's worship, and everybody's like, thank you, Jesus, crying, lifting their hands up, throwing themselves on the floor, losing themselves in worship, like, 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 like never before. They have this amazing experience. They come back to church, and this is them again in worship. Because for some reason, they felt that what they were looking for was at the convention. Like they could just lose themselves at the convention or at some conference. Sometimes we go to a conference and we get, we get hyped. This used to happen to me all the time when I used to go to our national sales meetings um, uh, in, my, in my secular job when I, when I, when I, when I was working with uh, Sharon Williams. We used to go to this national sales meeting, and they would re- uh, reveal all the new products. Like this clear coat, it unscratches itself on your car. You're like, What? And then they do it in front of you. They scratch a car, and they're like, just wait a moment. And they put a little bit of heat, and it just blends right in again. And you're like, oh, my goodness. I can't wait to go back and tell my customers. I can't wait. And we come back with this, with this motivation, this excitement, and all of a sudden, it lasts for how long? A couple weeks. I had an employee who was like Oscar the Grouch, Right? And he was an old-timer that had been in the company for like 30 years or something like that. And, and he, was ready, he was ready to hang it all up and, and leave. But he was always grouchy. And he was famous for that because all my customers knew that this was the grouchy employee. And they would, they would play on it and make fun of him. But it, anyways, so I come back from a, a, a conven- uh, sales meeting. And I say, hey, guys. And he's like, Vince, I know. You're excited. You're going to tell us all the things that we need to sell. You're going to tell us all the things that we have to change in the store. He's like, I'll give you two weeks and you'll be over it. And he'd walk away from me. I'm like, yo, this guy just busted my bubble. But the thing is that did you realize that we do the same thing spiritually sometimes? 
We go hopping from place to place looking for some, some kind of uh, instant revival within our spirit, and then we, we, we get it, we're excited, but then we kind of just, a couple weeks later, it's gone. Why? Why? One needs to remember that the first five verses of this chapter, right, which chapter five is, is uh, the beginning of Jesus' sermon on the mount, Right? Now, we've already pointed out in the last several weeks, we've pointed out several things. We've pointed out that, first, the man who comes to God must be poor in spirit. And we talked about that's not money-wise, but that's being broken in spirit. Like you are broke. You realize you have nothing to offer God of value. We, we have nothing that we can give him that's valuable. We're broke. We're poor in spirit. <laughs> we talked about... Um, being able to mourn, right? We talk about mourning, and it's not talking about the kind of mourning that we do when someone passes away, but the mourning that we feel, the brokenness, the mourning that we go through when we sin, when we sin before God. And then we talked about being meek, right? Being humble. And this refers to taking a lowly place before God in order that, he might re- that we might receive uh, salvation. So the, these beatitudes that we've talked about have all expressed man's needs. They've all expressed our needs. Now, the fourth one, I want to talk about a solution. There's a solution that we're going to talk about. If a man will hunger and thirst for righteousness, it says that God will fill him with righteousness. Declare him righteous. That man will be justified before God. And what happens is, I want to I talk this morning and examine four things about this passage. Four things. First is the meaning of hunger and thirst. The meaning of hunger and thirst. One of the greatest problems in, in really understanding this beatitude is because some of us have never really hungered and thirsted before. So when, when Jesus is talking about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, some of us don't understand that. Because you've never been hungry. You know how many times you're like, man, there's nothing to eat in this fridge. And we open the fridge. We close it. We go back to the same fridge that we just looked at. We open it again. Like if magically different food was going to show up when we opened it the second time. And we look around the kitchen and we're like, there's nothing to eat. But there, is thing, there are things to eat. Just things that you don't want to eat at the moment. Maybe something you don't have an appetite for at the moment. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you got to make it yourself or you don't feel like cooking. Ah, I'm going to have to cook this. Let's let's door dash this. We don't understand what it really is to be hungry. So we miss the urgency of the words of Jesus. Jesus was describing in these words a person that was at the point of starvation. The words, at the point of starvation. Like you're starving, you're about to die because you have no food. You're so dehydrated that if you don't get a drink, everything, your system will shut down. Hunger and thirst, they represent the basic necessities of our physical life, right? Right? We have to eat and we have to drink. And human history shows that almost every part of the world at some point has been plagued by some kind of famine at some, at some point, right? Um, Genesis 41, 54 to 57, it reminds us of the famine um, when Joseph's brothers were begging for food, right? And the seven years of famine began to come and Joseph said, as Joseph had said, the famine was in all the lands, but in, the, in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all Egyptians, go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. The famine was, all, was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because there was famine, because the famine was severe in all the lands. In all the lands. 
Rome experienced the Great Famine also in uh, 436 BC. The, the story of this is that the famine was so bad that people were throwing themselves in the Tigris River, was it? In the, yeah, in the Tiger River, committing suicide because they'd rather drown than starve. I don't know if you've truly been hungry. I know some people, like when we fast together, we do corporate fasting or you fasting on your own, you know how like the one and a half day mark comes and you're like, oh my God, I'm so hungry. Like, dude, it's only been a day and a half. And there are some people that don't eat all week, right? But, you, but, but let's take that feeling that you, that you feel a day later a day and a half later, that it feels like your stomach is like, we say, eating itself, right? Like, oh, my stomach is just like, like just collapsing, <laughs> chewing on your backbone. That feeling is a horrible feeling because you try to work, you can't work because it's hurting. You try to do something, you can't get your mind off it because no matter what you're doing, you're feeling it, right? Famine exists even to this day. We see that um, uh, just last year there was an article written about the four, uh, four countries that face famine right now. The UN reported Ethiopia, Nigeria, South Sudan, and Yemen, which are all going through some crazy um, famine right now. What we need to understand is that a starving person has a single thought at the moment, right? It, they have an all-consuming Passion for food or water. That's all that's on their mind. You've never met someone that's starving, right? And was like, man, I need something to eat. And when I eat, I want to get like, you know, a new TV, a new laptop. Like, like, you've never heard someone add what they want other than food when they're starving. When someone is at a point of death, they just want food. Nothing else matters. Water, nothing else matters. Nothing else can get their attention. Some of you guys get really hangry. Some of you guys get hangry. <laughs> My son gets hangry. He looked at me like, go ahead, you can say it, you can say it. He gets hangry. I'm like, yo, let's get something to eat. Let's get something to eat so we could talk, actually have a conversation. Because nothing matters. The person's feelings don't matter. The conversation that you're having don't matter. The outcome of the conversation don't matter. All you want to do is eat. Where's Rachel? She's not here right now? Oh, she's upstairs. Rachel doesn't get hangry. She just likes to eat. There's a story of a young man who walked up to the famous Greek philosopher, um, right, Socrates, and he told him, I want knowledge. I want to be your student. Can you mentor me? Right? And Socrates was like, yeah, uh, let, let's go for a little walk. And he walks this young man to the beach. And he says, follow me. And he walks into the water. He said, follow me some more. And he walks further into the water when they're about... I don't know, I'm about waist deep. Socrates takes this young man, grabs his head, and pushes him under the water. And he's holding him under the water like this. And he's holding him long enough that right when the, 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 young, the young man stops struggling, he pulls him back up, and you hear the young man going, <gasps> gasping for air, gasping for air. He drags him out to the sand, leaves him there, and walks away. The next day, the young man sees him in the marketplace. He's like, oh, you tried to kill me yesterday. What was that about? And then Socrates replies, says, when you were under the water, what did you want more than anything else? He says, I wanted to breathe. I wanted air. And he said, and Socrates responded, when you crave knowledge, like you crave air, then you're ready to be my student. That's what Jesus is saying about righteousness. We have to be that hungry for it, that thirsty for it. 
that nothing matters, that the one thing on your mind right now is that that's what you want, that nothing can distract you from it. Blessed are those who crave for the things of God just as intense as craving for food and water. So the first thing was the meaning of hunger and thirst. That's what it really means to hunger and thirst. Not just, oh, I think I want a snack. No, to be starving for something, to be thirsty for something. So what's the object of this spiritual hunger? Okay, he wants us to be hungry. He wants us to be thirsty. And we already know what kind of hunger and thirst he's talking about. What's the object of this spiritual hunger? There was a commercial tons of years ago, way back. I think when they first started adding color to TV. Yeah. And I think it was Ritz Cracker. Ritz Cracker's been around a long time, if you guys didn't know. So Ritz Cracker made this commercial. And the commercial was, uh, the, the slogan was, what are you hungry for when you don't know what you're hungry for? How many of us go through that all the time? We're hungry, but we don't know what we're hungry for? So the commercial was trying to imply, right, all you need is Ritz crackers. What are you hungry for when you don't know what you're hungry? Have Ritz crackers. And that's what we tell our kids, just eat a cracker. Have crackers or something, like figure something out. Um... But on a deeper spiritual level, on a spiritual need, what we need is something entirely different. We don't need a snack that's going to just maintain us for five minutes. Jeremiah, before I read that, too, uh, too often people are all hungry for all the wrong things. I mentioned earlier, right, people are hungry for position, for power, for pleasure, for praise. Um, the thing is that all these things never satisfy some people have gotten those things. Some people have reached those levels, and they tell you, like, what's next? It doesn't satisfy me. Those reasons will never satisfy because they can't. Jeremiah 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, says, For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns cisterns that can hold no water at all. In other words, God is saying that he created man with a hunger and a thirst for him, right? That nothing else can satisfy because he is the living water. Nothing else. Remember when he was like, if you drink of this, you'll never be thirsty again, right? And then he's saying, but instead of turning to him, they try to fill themselves up from broken cisterns, tanks that hold water, right? So if they're broken, if they're cracked, they're not even holding the water in the first place. So here we're trying to fill ourselves with water that's being held in broken tanks. So if you know the outcome of that, that water is going to be gone in no, in, in any, in no time. When the prodigal son left home, he expected to find complete satisfaction. He wanted to live it up. Pop, give me, what, give me what's mine. I'm, I got to go live. Let me live. And he takes all his stuff and what he meant by that, he wanted to live it up. And in his head, he wanted money, he wanted clothes, food, he wanted companionship, happy times. But instead of those things... Those things that, that he, he had in his mind, all the things that he imagined that he was going to enjoy in his time away from home, he began to experience poverty, rage, hunger, loneliness, misery. When he was hungry, what did we read in the Bible? When he was hungry, he went to the area where the pigs were at. When he was hungry, he considered eating what the pigs would eat. But when he was starving, it was only when he was finally starving that he went back to his father's house. It was in his father's company that he found out. It was in his father's company he found all the things that he thought he was going to find out in the world. But they were, all, they were, at his, they were in the father's house the whole time. He welcomed them, right? He rejoiced. He fed him. He clothed him. 
And the thing is, this is us. This, this, is, this happens to us so many times, right? We go out into the world expecting to find all these amazing things because that's the way it's pictured. That's the way it's painted. That's the way that society would like us to think now where all the fun and interesting and amazing things are and it attracts you, it pulls you. And yet what we find is pain, we find frustration, we find broken marriages, broken families, we find all this hurt and death. And all we ever, and everything that we ever needed was back in our father's house the entire time. So what's this right? Uh, so, so Jesus says that the object of the spiritual hunger and thirst is righteousness. In fact, Jesus says that with the same intensity, right? With the same intensity that you're about to, to die of, of food, hunger from food, you should be dying for Righteousness. You should be desiring righteousness. So what's righteousness, Pastor? It's simply put like this. It's being, to make it simple, it's simply being right with God. Being right with God. Jesus said that the blessed life is the life that is right with him. The blessed life is the life that is right with him. The soul has its hunger and thirst. And those desires were built into us from creation. Ecclesiastics 3.11 says, He made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. He has put, God has put eternity in the hearts of men. King David understood that, right? Um... Uh, Psalms 42, 1 to 2 says, As the deer longs for the streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go up and stand before him? We try to quench our thirst with so many things, and we still find ourselves asking, like, why is this not enough? Right? We talked about Rockefeller a, long t- a couple weeks ago, several weeks ago, when they asked him, so how much more money do you need? He's like, just not a dollar, just not a dollar. So, and some of us would be like, well, if I had Rockefeller's money, I'd, I'd be cool. And then until you have it, and then you'd be like, okay, just not a dollar, just not a dollar. We want, he wants us to thirst for uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, there's two aspects of thirsting and hungering for righteousness. The first is salvation. Well, what does salvation, what does salvation have to do with righteousness? Thank you for asking, Royce. Where's he at? Right there. With Junior. There he is. Thank you for asking, Royce. The answer is that the person who hungers for thirst and righteousness is the kind of person that understands that they've done something wrong. And they understand that they need a solution to their wrong. Someone who's thirsting and, and, uh, and hungering for righteousness is going to know that when they sin, that that was wrong. And that they need to have some kind of solution for that, right? We understand that sin breaks the fellowship between God and man. It causes a void. It causes separation. When we sin, it separates us from God. Why? Because we serve a holy God. A holy God that cannot sin. He doesn't sin. He can't be around. He can't sin. He can't be sin. And so what happens is when we sin, we push ourselves further from God. It causes a gap. It causes this this, this, uh, barrier. And the thing is this. We understand that when we are thirsty and, and, and hungering for righteousness, we understand that we can't do anything about that gap. We're sinful people. And so, therefore, there's a separation between us and God. And because of the separation of us, uh, between us and God, we, we need to chase after the solution that will bring us closer to God once again. What's that solution? It's Jesus. Go ahead. Jesus. Jesus bridges the gap. His, his death on the cross, his sacrifice... He bridges that gap, and although we could have never pulled ourselves to close this gap, Jesus does that for us, therefore bringing us closer to the Father once again. That's why we need him. 
That's why we need to receive them, accept them. That's why we need to walk. This is what it's all about. There's a number of people. Um, the, the, second, the second aspect is um, sanctification, right? When Jesus said, blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, he uses words that, that don't mean hunger and thirst, a one-time hunger. It means a continual hunger, a continual thirst, meaning that, it ju- that just when you have one drink, it, that it doesn't go away, like you still want more, right? When we came to Christ, we hungered and thirsted for righteousness. And now that we know him, we should be hungering and thirsting for more. You understand? There's examples of people in the Bible um, like this. I'm just going to give you two today. Moses. We look at Moses. Look at Moses. Moses was an Old Testament guy that witnessed the hand of God in some powerful ways, right? He saw the hand of God in the burning bush that was not consumed. He saw the miracles um, of the plagues that were, that were sent to convince Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Moses saw the power of God when he parted the Red Sea. Moses saw God's provision of manna in the desert. Moses went up, uh, he saw water come out of a rock when they were thirsty. Moses was up the mountain and saw the hand of God writing the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. A man that witnessed all these things. Yet, what do we read in Exodus 33, 18? (laughs) It says, and he said, please show me your glory. And some of us are like, what more do you need to see? What more do you need to see, Moses? You saw saw all of these things and you want more? You want more? He wanted more. He wanted more. Look at David. David um, was such close communion with God. Yeah, we know he messed up here and there, right? But he was he was in communion with God that he's the only man in, 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 the, in the scripture that's titled like a man after God's own heart. When we hear that statement, we know he's talk, referring to David, a man after God's own heart. We know that he wrote as a deer pants through the water, right? We, we read that and, and his soul thirsts and longs for God. And later in Psalm 63, 1, he writes, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. No matter how close David walked with God, he wanted more. How many of us have a one-time awesome experience with God? And we'd be like, woo, that was great. Woo, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, that's all I need. You know, that was enough. I don't need to seek anymore. I don't need to desire anymore. That was an amazing experience. Don't raise your hand, but ever feel that way before? You just have this amazing experience, and you walk away, you're like, wow, that was great. And, but then you're like, I'm good. When you guys hear it that way, you're like, no, I'm not good. Like, no, of course I want more of God. But did you know that the way we are living our lives out say that instead of our words? We come to church. We have an amazing experience. Woo! Praise God. This and that. And we leave. But then the way you live your life day to day is saying, I don't need any more. I don't need it anymore. A one-time thing was good enough for me. I don't need to seek. I don't need to, 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 to be filled again. I don't want to. And so what happens is you're like, no, I would never want to say that. I would never. When we are living our lives without a hunger, without a thirst for righteousness, for God's things, then what we're saying is whatever I experienced, that was good enough for me. 
and we walk away. Come on, guys. This is, I know this is not, I'm not getting a lot of, yeah, yeah, I get it. I don't I get it. It's one of those Sundays, I get it. Hey, I didn't create the order of the Beatitudes. We got four more after this. How are you living your life day to day? Are you living a life that is showing that you want more? Or are you living a life that whatever you experienced in the past was enough? All right, we talked about the meaning of hunger. We talked about what is the object of that hunger, which is righteousness. Now, how do I know? How do I test myself to know if I'm actually hungry for this? How, how can I tell? All right. Let me suggest three questions you can ask yourself. Number one, are you satisfied with yourself? Are you satisfied with yourself? Or do you feel like, like uh, do you feel this constant pain every time you mess up? Like when you fall short, you're like, oh, man. If you feel that way, I want to say that's a good thing. All right? So when we mess up, and you're like, oh, man, oh, and you get frustrated, you get this pain, you get this hurt, you get this, like, uh, shame. At that moment, that's good. That's a good thing. Because what happens is when you feel that way, that's a symptom of someone who is seeking God's way. Like, you are seeking God's way, you messed up, you feel bad because what you did was not what God wanted. Right? You're still in a, in a decent place. You're in a very bad place when that's not even a thought anymore. We are not truly hungry and thirsting for righteousness as long as we believe that we are good with ourselves, good enough to stand in God's presence. That's why I'm saying, are you satisfied with yourself? The answer should be No. Because the second that you say, I'm good, yo, Big E, I'm good, that means that, you know what, I can stand before God right now. I'm all good. There's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. As long as we believe it is because of who we are or what we've done, that we will be able to see God, we are not hungering for thirst and righteousness. We're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness because you think that's all that you got to do. All right, the second question, ask yourself, are you willing to deal with hindrances in your life? You say, Pastor, I believe in Jesus with all my heart, but I'm afraid that I do not have a great desire to grow spiritually. And you know what? There are many of us in this category right now. I love Jesus. I love him. But at the moment, I just don't have this desire to grow spiritually. <laughs> have you ever stopped to consider how, quote, unquote, things have an influence on how you feel? Right? <laughs> Do you feel your yourself up, right? Do you, do you fill your appetite with all the wrong things and then lose your appetite? You know, growing up, you're really hungry and you didn't have dinner. Somehow you sneak in a snack. It, it satisfies your hunger, but then all of a sudden now it ruined your dinner and now you can't have dinner. That's the same concept where you're like, I love, I love Jesus. I love Jesus, but I just don't have this desire to seek him. Well, you don't have this desire to seek him because you've been snacking on something that you shouldn't have. And it's been stealing and taking away from the appetite that should have driven you to Jesus. Do you understand this? What are you snacking on that is pulling you away, that is, that is, that is ruining your appetite for Christ? I can't, yo, man, go ahead, Ruby. What is it? 
What is it? Isaiah 55, 2 says, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. When you are truly hungry and thirsting for righteousness, listen, I, I, I know this feeling because sometimes, uh, let me give you an example when it comes to pizza. If I'm going to be where I know the pizza is really good, right, where I know is really good, I will starve myself until I get there because I know that I'm going to eat the best pizza in the area, Right? When we are truly thirsting and hungry for righteousness, we can tell ourselves, I'll wait. I'm not going to fill myself with anything else that's going to take away from me eating what I truly want. Guys, amen, amen. Thank you, Justin. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, Justin. What? are those things. I can't say, I can't tell you what they are in your life. I'm not going to make a list that says this is what you're nibbling on when you shouldn't. This is, this, these are your snacks and, 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 and be, you know, take away the snacks from you. That's where self-discipline comes in. That's when, that's when um, walking this faith together, together comes in play. Because you know what? Miguel, Miguel could be eating some snacks right there and then, and then uh, Kevin could be like, yo, you know those aren't good for you. Why not? Because then he's gonna, you're not going to be able to eat dinner. And together, as a family, we hold, this, we hold each other accountable. And before you know it, we're not snacking on the wrong things anymore. Those who are hungry and thirsting put themselves in the way of getting it. Let me explain this to you. If you're truly hungry and thirsting for righteousness, you're going to put yourself in the way of it. You ever really wanted to talk to somebody? Um, you would just kind of put yourself in their path so they had to walk by you. They had to, like, you know, acknowledge you maybe. And then you could be like, oh, by the way, now that you're here, I just happen to be here. Put yourself in the way of getting it. The person who's seeking righteousness is not random, it's not scattered or sporadic about their attendance to worship. Now, I know it's summertime. Some of y'all on vacation, if you're watching this, don't be like, but Pastor, I'm on the beach right now. It's okay. That's not what I'm talking about. Enjoy the beach. But we need to start taking the proper steps to making sure that we are prioritizing correctly our lives. Those who are truly hungry and thirsty for righteousness are not just going to pick and choose. Uh, I guess I'll go today. I guess I won't. Uh, no, th there's reasons why people don't go sometimes. You get sick. You know, you're on vacation. I'm not talking about any of that. Sometimes you get put on a schedule at work. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you have the ability to go and you just be like, I don't kind of feel like it today and you just don't go. Because the person who is serious in seeking righteousness will seek godly company. If I want to seek out God's righteousness, I'm going to want to hang out with some people that, you know what, are going to help me in that. They're going to encourage me in that. They're going to motivate me in that area, right? In closing... In closing, we talked about meaning of hunger and thirst. We talked about the object of spiritual hunger, which is righteousness. We talked about testing, like asking to yourself, where do you fall in these areas? Lastly, what is the result of this spiritual hunger? What, what, what's the result? You know, you know a lot of companies have this slogan, satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. All your money back. 
You just got to be careful with those companies that don't have a callback number. Well, how do I get in contact? Oh, sorry, I don't know. We got no office. We got no phone number. We have no address. You're not getting your money back on that one. The promised result of spiritual hunger and thirsting for righteousness is that you will be satisfied. You will be satisfied. The passive tense in the Greek here it in, in indicates they shall be satisfied. So our part is to seek, and God's part is simply to satisfy. If you're hungry, seek, and he will satisfy. But there's a mystery within this promise of satisfaction. There's a mystery because some of you guys that were paying attention were like, but pastor, didn't you say it was a continual hunger? A continual hunger? The mystery is that you're satisfied, but you're never satisfied. He will satisfy you, but you're still not fully satisfied. Well, well, how does that make sense? He wants us to maintain a hunger and a thirst. But on the other hand, we are promised satisfaction. This doesn't make sense to me. When one is saved, when you come to Christ, when you surrender yourself to him, when you receive him as personal Lord and Savior, we are, that that hunger that we had, there's a void that we had that is immediately satisfied with that decision. There's there's a satisfaction that comes with a decision like that, right? But then there develops within our soul a desire for more. And in sanctification, we are never satisfied and we are never satisfied, and we desire more and more of God. We can see the reality of this when you eat your favorite food. So I would mention the pizza, right? Think about your favorite food. Think about your favorite dessert. Go ahead, picture it right now. Go ahead, picture it, picture it. Your favorite food or dessert. Mmm. Pastor, you're making me hungry. When you eat that, right, it's like a, it, it, you're enjoying it, you're eating it, and you will eat until you're stuffed, if you can, right? Now you're stuffed. But the experience of eating that, right, the taste of that, although you are filled right now, there's a desire that you've already made a decision, yo, I'm eating this next time I come here. Come on. Am I the only one? You fill yourself with, let's say you go to a restaurant or something, you eat something, it was so good. You can't eat anymore, but you tell yourself, I'm coming here again. I got to order this. So you are satisfied, but yet in your mind, you are already desiring more. And that is how it is with Christ. You see, we are satisfied, but then we should be wanting more. Can I, can I be blunt with y'all real quick? Can I just be straight up? Some of us here today, I'm going to say it in a nice way. Some of us here today have, a, have just as much joy as you want. You have as much peace as you want. And for the most part, you are where you are right now because that's where you want to be. That's not true, Pastor. I don't want to be where I'm at. No, because if you were hungry, because if you were truly hungry for something better from God, you could have it. Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. I may not know what you're going through. You're right. But Pastor, you don't know what I'm feeling right now. You're right. I mean, I don't know what you're feeling right now. But I can tell you that each and every one of us that are here standing today are at the level that we are at today because you have allowed yourself to be at this level. You are as happy as you are permitting to be happy. You are 
you have the peace that you have because that's the level of peace that you've permitted. Again, like I said, because if you wanted something better, if you were hungry for more from God, you could have it. If you want it, if you hungered for it, you could have a closer walk with God. Church, if you want it, if you hungered for it, you could grow spiritually. We have so many immature Christians in the body of Christ because we have gotten so comfortable where we're at. Because you know what? It takes work to grow. It takes discipline. It takes focus. If you want it, if you're hungry for it, you can have a better marriage. If you want it, you can be a man, a woman of God. If you truly want it, you can change habits, addictions, things that have been held on to you for all for for years if you truly want it we have seen people outside of their faith outside of the walls of faith right who were addicts and because they truly wanted it they got help and they were free from that addiction because they truly wanted it and they did that put in work We serve a God that can supernaturally deliver us from some of these things. There are some of us that God wants to deliver us like this and we'll be set free. And some of us will go through a process. But you need to want that. Do you want to be set free? Do you want to be set free from the addictions that just keep pulling your flesh The question is, how much do you want it this morning, church? How much do you want it? How hungry are you for it? How thirsty are you for it? Or are we filling ourselves up with all the wrong things?